Sofia Coppola is one of our best directors. She's a remarkable person, and I'm proud to say she's one of my closest friends. And I've watched her create again and again worlds that are specific and very special and have her eye and her look and are uniquely hers. Her most recent film, On the Rocks, which stars Rashida Jones and Bill Murray, who's been in Sophia's movie, Lost in Translation, is a remarkable achievement. It is a love letter to a city. I saw the movie when the pandemic was at full rage, and there was something about seeing New York through Sophia's eyes that was so remarkably beautiful. This is Sophia Coppola. first question would be a person in your life who's had a lot of impact or been meaningful. Who would that be? Well, the first person that comes to mind is Paul Jasmine, who is my teacher, my photo teacher who I met in my, you know, early 20s in LA. I was, I went to CalArts and then I, I left and went to Art Center for a little bit and I wanted to be a painter. And then my painting teacher told me that I wasn't a painter and I was really upset. But I'm so glad that he said that so I didn't waste more time. And um, I started hanging out in the photo department because I had met Paul Jasmine, just who we call jazz, just around LA, maybe through, I don't know, Dewey Nicks and, and that whole crowd of people. And, um, and he was just really fun. And so I would, I would just, I just started sitting in on his classes and I would just kind of, I was never enrolled in the photo department, but I would, I would hang out with him and, and just spend a lot of time with him looking at photo books and talking about photography and And he was the first person that I started taking pictures and he was the first person that really thought I had a point of view and encouraged me outside of my family. You know, my family always encouraged me to, but to have someone outside of my family really think that my point of view was worthwhile, just gave me the confidence to start making things and trying things. And he just had a huge impact on me. I have two questions. One, what were your paintings like? Um, (laughs) Oh, they're bad. Somewhere I have an oil painting of a Chanel monster truck. <laughs> so they were not abstract. They were actually figurative. Yeah, no, I wish I, I wish I was an abstract painter. They were figurative. And it's the early 90s when I was into kind of like muscle car culture. And, and then, I don't know, some self-portraits. Um, wow. But they're not. Yeah, I, I love painting and I love paint and the smell of paint. And I... I had another great teacher there, Nancy Michnik, who I always remember she showed us um, the scene in Close Encounters when he's making the mountain out of mashed potatoes, uh-huh, uh-huh. an explanation of, of art artists. And, and, and it still stays in my mind that it really is the best description, how you just like have something in your mind and you have to express it and you'll do anything to get it out. And <laughs> that's how I feel about making films now. Like it's, it's just like the idea or what I see just bugs me until I get it out. And then there's just the relief of, it out but you just have to do it like you don't really have a choice so I love that and did you know Paul Jasmine's work before you studied with him had you seen his photos you know I guess it was at that time where I kind of learned about photography through fashion photography and I mean that's what first got me interested as a teenager so yeah I loved his pictures and he photographed me and I I was he was doing photos for maybe like interview and stuff at the time that I was looking at uh, all that stuff all the time and and it really, I spent so much time just looking through magazines and books with him and him showing me photography that he liked. And yeah, so it was just, it was just always fun to show him things and he would expose, you know, show me photos he liked and he's so enthusiastic. 
I actually think I've seen that Paul Jasmine photo of you, or at least one of them, because I always remember it because you had such long hair. You had like really long hair and it looked so beautiful. You looked like almost like a mermaid. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm horrified when Romy finds that on on my (laughs) bed or something. But yeah, it was during that time where I was... It's a beautiful picture. I think she'll be, I think she'll be impressed. <laughs> I to have a record of that moment. And Paul Jasmine's still alive, right? Yeah, he's like in his mid-80s and I talked to him and he's, he's still the best. And he's kind of famous for his funny, his quotes, his jazzyisms that he said. He'll answer the phone with like, and he'll just say, ah, oh, so like, who do I have to fuck to get off this planet? Like, he just, he, um, <laughs> yeah. We have to get him to photograph you again for W. That's what we should do. Oh, that would be cool. He, yeah, because I don't know if he's been doing photos lately. That would be cool. I would love it. And when you started taking pictures, there's a line I always love in one of your films, Lost in Translation, where you say to, where Scarlett's character says to Bill Murray's character, something like, I took pictures of my feet. I took pictures of various things. Because I think every girl goes through a period where they take pictures of their feet. I think I have like 20 pictures of Polaroids of my feet from various times. So. That's so funny. And then I feel like that pro- that became like an Instagram thing when that when that started. But yes, I think, yeah, there's definitely lots of pictures of lying around and feet in view. And yeah, that was, yeah, that's funny. It's just a, it's a rite of passage of like, and I think a lot of girls go through like a photography phase. And I think even the line in that was like, like horses, like it's a phase. Exactly. I love that line and horses. I didn't have horses, but I definitely had feet. So now let's go to question two, which is, do you have a city or a place? It doesn't have to be a city. It could be a place. It could be a tree. I don't care. That has a lot of meaning for you or a place that you feel like shaped you. I guess it would be Napa where I grew up and where my parents still live and where I am right now as a place that I always return to and ha- uh, and it feels like home. And we always moved so much. So the fact that we always came back to Napa g- gives me some kind of sense of security or gave me that. And I still, I still feel like that. But as far as when you say like a place that shaped you, yeah, I mean, I spent my, my whole life here and all the things I, I saw and it had, I have like, you know, these memories of our, kind of eccentric childhood here. And it it just- Was uh, it in the same place that you are now or did it move in different parts of Napa? I don't know. We've been in the same place since I was five or six. My parents came here in the early 70s. Yeah, and it's kind of gone through all different phases and it, um, it's still, yeah. So I still visit the property where where I grew up and yeah, and it just felt, my dad always sees me that I call it like Tara when I was a kid. I remember like, <laughs> the, you know, he tells a story about like the, process servers came when he was returning to the and I wouldn't let them in and you know um but yeah we went through a lot in this place where I grew up and um so it always no matter where I am I know I, I have this you know kind of home in the and I always feel grounded when I come here have you made any films in Napa yes I I mean no I just like as a kid we would make little films and and it's fun because it's it's you know out in the country so we were kind of left to kind of roam around and do our own thing. And um, yeah, we would make little short, you know, make little movies as, as kids. And I, the other day I was talking to Cosima, who my daughter, who's 10, about there's like a, a, a barn here we call the cow barn. And she said, oh, were there cows in there when you were little? And I said, no, actually there were boxes of old like costumes and stuff. And she said, what do you mean there was boxes of costumes in there? 
And I guess they did some reshoots for Apocalypse Now, and this barn was filled with boxes of like army uniforms and and, and dummies, like all the dead bodies. And I told her how we used to drag those into this. Well, we we would drag them out and use them in movies. We sometimes we drag them out into the street, and, like put fake blood. There were like gallons of fake blood and put it in the middle of the street to look like someone's there. Like, um, so it was fun just like discovering all this weird leftover movie stuff. Definitely. And did <laughs> Roman ever direct you in anything or was it all just, was it, you know, just a family affair kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, we'd all kind of like be in each other's and stuff. I remember like a, a tree branch fell on my mom's car and my brothers like we're filming like a drunk driving commercial with <laughs> Um, it was a Rolls Royce smashed by a, a tree branch. <laughs> I love that. Well, but I always love the edict of your family, which is, you know, to be making things. And that's very inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I think there were just always cameras around and stuff. So, and my mom was always doing different things. She was doing like conceptual art projects and, and drawings and photos. And so there was just always stuff, yeah, being made. And yeah, it was just, a, it was a stimulating environment, I guess. When I was really little, like my dad, I wish I could find it. Did like we did a production of Cinderella, and oh, wow, I was Cinderella, and my brother. I think Roman was the prince, and my other brother was the stepsister, and my mom <laughs> came out of an elevator. But um, yeah, so so I think there was just that. So he, my dad would make them with us, and then I guess as we got older, we started making our own little little. We make little like horror movies and stuff. Right, so let's go to question three, which is a thing. It can be a film, it can be a photograph, it can be a stuffed animal, it could be a piece of jewelry that has particular meaning for you. It could be any any inanimate object. Yeah, I know. I was I was thinking about this, and I thought when we were evacuated last year during the fires, and the one thing that I grabbed was I have in a frame a telegram that Lee Roswell received from Aunt Edie, you know, from Grey Gardens. Oh my God. And the telegram says, don't look at the reviews, just keep going Mm. about when she did the play of Philadelphia Story. And when Lee passed away, our friend Hamilton gave me that as something, as I wanted, you know, something to remember her. And I, I got to know Lee a little through, I met her through Mark Jacobs and she was in Paris when I was living there when Romy was a baby and we would make Thanksgiving with the whatever Americans were around. And, um, and so it was, it was fun to get to know her over the last few years. It's just such a unique person and part of an era that, that she was kind of the last connection to. And I love that he picked that for me because just the, don't look at what they say and keep going, keep your head high or whatever it is. But I, I, yeah, I love this, having this telegram. Did you admire Lee's style? Yeah, I love Lee's style and just the way she did things and how she was so kind of no bullshit. And I love that she would never do anything she didn't want to do. She said no very easily. <laughs> um, love that. Yeah, sometimes I try, like, oh, I think, what would Lee do? You know, and she always, she, I mean, she was very, very charming, but always kind of had her head high and was was very dignified. And um, See, I always say, what would Sophia do? I try to be like <laughs> you. So tell me now, this is a little complicated, an event in your life that seemed like a negative but turned out to be a positive. 
In other words, like a job you didn't take, so you got another yeah. job, or someone you didn't marry, so you married Tama. Yeah, I know there's a lot of things like that. I, I think a lot of times in life when things don't turn out the way you want, I always know like, oh, I know later I'm going to be like, thank God that didn't work because something else <laughs> did. I know, and I thought about like, yeah, like a guy I really liked in my 20s or something. But I guess I was thinking about this. One thing would be like to work with that project of the Little Mermaid that mm. I was working on. I was doing. I worked on it for a couple of years. Like I invested a lot of time and energy, and then it didn't happen. And I'm so glad now that it didn't happen because I really learned a lot about not. You know, I I was trying to. Work. It was their project, and I went to the producers and you know, kind of proposed myself. So, and now I really know that I need to just originate my own thing so that I can have the most creative control over them. But I. I was trying to work on a bigger scale and, and you know, and at, and at the time, I don't know if it was like eight years ago or six years ago, but it was, it was kind of before Wonder Woman and, and it was like unheard of to hire a woman to be in charge of a huge budget. I remember when the producers like trying to convince them to let me do it because I love fairy tales and I wanted to do something with the resources to do something really beautiful and magical. And I remember them saying, well, you don't have any experience with, visual effects. And I said, well, yeah, I can hire a, a visual effects supervisor, just like I can't sew a dress, but I can hire a costume designer. So they engaged me, you know, they kind of hired me to do it. And it was really a challenge that I was trying to do something in a studio system, which I've never done. And it was just, just so many hurdles and conflicts working in that environment where so much money is at stake. So it's really a business before an art project. And I learned that, yeah, that it's really, I mean, I already knew that it was important to have creative control, but I'd much rather stay home and make a collage than work on something where I don't get it exactly how I have in my mind. And um, so that was a good learning lesson. And then it didn't happen. It's never really happened. I guess they're trying to do it now, right? Yeah, I heard that they were still going to do that, but now Disney is doing their version. So I don't know what will happen with that. No, I know we couldn't agree on the casting. And, and then I had this like far ideas that I wanted to like really film underwater. And they indulged me with these underwater tests, which seems really unrealistic. Did you actually do a test underwater? Yeah. And I never saw the final one, but we actually did these tests underwater at Pinewood. And wow. The sword shot it. Yeah. But I don't know how that would have, yeah, how that would have worked. But did that come in handy for anything else? It would seem like that would be something interesting to do. Yeah, it's true. I, I haven't thought about it, but I just love the way like fabrics move underwater and stuff. It was really into the idea of the sea witch. Yeah, no, I haven't used it for anything, but it would be good to do for some time. I remember when you were casting it because I remember you ha saw all these amazing women that have now become big stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny because when we were doing casting, I remember meeting Florence Pugh and she stayed in my mind. She wasn't right for The Little Mermaid, but we had something for her. And um, so then it was fun to see her go on and have a career and, you know, different people that I met. Yeah, it's always great to meet a whole batch of young actors. What was the project you did right after you said no to Little Mermaid? So after I walked away, I kind of hung in there knowing like, oh, this, this isn't really right for me, but I kind of just hung in there and tried to make it work. And by the end of it, I was really, I just felt like depleted and kind of my spirit was a little broken. And yeah, and it was like, I spent years working on it. And then I was asked by Valentino, the person to come do the opera in Rome. And so I spent a month in Rome with these opera people that were all, you know, no one was getting 
or getting paid very little. Like everyone's just doing it for the love of doing it. And it was something scary for me to do an opera. I was like, I don't know how to do an opera. <laughs> Had you done any other live events like that? Like even a theatrical event? No, I've never done anything live on a stage. And I was terrified. And a friend was like, you have to do it. And, and I was like, I can't say no to Valentino, but it was great. And it, it was really, it really gave me a, a big boost because after that I felt like, oh, I did something that was scary and hard and I did it. And so it gave me a boost and doing something just all around beauty and being in that, hearing the music and seeing Valentino and and Pier Paolo and, and their whole team making these beautiful dresses. It was really um, a great experience. And so I felt like that kind of patched up my creative spirit at that moment. Do you do a lot of takes when you do? Because I've, I've been on your sets and you don't do a lot of takes. Do you do a lot of takes where there are like more takes for something like Marie Antoinette that was more complicated? I don't remember, but I don't think ever a ton because we just ever have enough time and we're shooting on film. So there's that kind of preciousness. Uh-huh. But not, not a ton, but that because there were all those kind of backward elements and stuff, maybe, maybe more, but n- never a ton. Did it make you nervous to shoot in Versailles? Because you were the first person to, aren't you the first person to actually be given permission to shoot in the, I thought you, I read, I think because I wrote about it at the time, that you were the first person to have permission to shoot in her, in the, in her particular palace, Here, the, the Petit Trianon. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there were a lot of areas. I don't know if they let people shoot in the Hall of Mirrors and things before, but they did give us access that they had never done before. So, I mean, I was just, I was just thrilled. I mean, I guess I was nervous to make sure we, we took care of it. We were very careful, but it was amazing to be on that set. I went on that set. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was really amazing that we would go there for work every day. And yeah, we couldn't believe it. All right, so let's talk about a purely joyous experience in your life that had nothing but happiness in it. My wedding to Tomal was fun. My dad made a little hotel out of he, he restored this small palazzo. It's called Palazzo Margarita in Bernalda, the town where his family is from in Puglia or Basilicata near Puglia. So it's just one of my favorite places to go. And it's in a small town. And so Tomal and I had two daughters and we weren't we were being very French and not getting married. But then I thought, just because I'm a divorcee, I don't have, I didn't want to get married again. I was like, oh, but I shouldn't, I should marry the person that I want to be married to. And so we got, we got married there and the garden it was very small. And I thought, well, let's just do like a birthday party. Let's not get trapped by all the things about a wedding that are a drag. Did you wear white? I wore, Alaya Asdi made me this beautiful dress that was white with gray pattern in it. So it was more gray and knee length. Yeah, it was so fun to have have him make it on me and, you know, get to have that experience. Yeah, and it was in the, in the garden and my dad made this, incre- you know, organized this incredible feast around a table in the garden and the town mayor did the ceremony and it was, um, yeah, in the summer and it was hot. We were just with our, our close friends and family in, the, in this beautiful garden and fireworks. I remember there's a stroke song, I think it's Glass, that it was on the playlist that Tamal made when the fireworks went off. And so whenever I hear that, I think of that moment. It was just nice because we were like grown up enough to do it the way we wanted, as opposed to, I don't know, when you're young, you feel like you have to do things all a certain way. And it was just romantic and happy memory for me. Were the girls in the wedding? Cozy and Romy were, well, Cozy was only like a year old and Romy was like four, I guess. And right when we were, I was going to walk down the aisle with my dad, Romy ran away she had like a diva moment that was <laughs> and then I think Cozy crumbled in tears and I 
picked her up. My dad picked her up and they were cute in their little little dresses. And Odile was there and did my hair. And yeah, it was, it was really nice. I was with you before Marie Antoinette when we went to have Azadine make a dress for you for Cannes. And I have to say, that's one of my happiest moments, watching Azadine cut that black dress on you while we sat there. And I think, I think you were a little bit pregnant. You couldn't tell, obviously. But it was a really remarkable experience to watch him make that dress on, on you at that moment. It was incredible. I'll never forget that moment. That was, yeah, that was the first time I ever saw him, saw him do that. And um it was and like watching somebody take cloth and turn it into art. It was remarkable. I know. It was like a sculptor or something. It was really amazing to see. Because I, I, mean, I always loved what he did, but to see how he actually did it was really impressive. And it was interesting to watch you because you started out very still and then you became sort of more entranced as it went on. And it was so fast. It wasn't like an hour or anything. I think the whole thing was like 40 minutes or something. And he created that entire dress. Oh, it's such a great moment. I know it's so fun that we got to do that and and that you guys, yeah, were there for something that you could love too. Well, that's it. You were brilliant as always. That was fantastic. And it was so fun to talk to you. I could talk to you all day as I usually do. <laughs> for listening to Five Things with Lynn Hirschberg. The podcast is produced by Michael Beckert. The audio engineers are Rich Cervini and Max Solomon at Hanger Studios. The music is by Robin Shore. Thank you to Bumble Ward. And thanks to Sarah Moonves for making everything at W possible. Most of all, thank you to Zora. La la la